0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. The title of today's message is, Hope for the Typically... Dysfunctional marriage. <laughs> Hope for the typically dysfunctional marriage. How many of you would agree uh, that the idea, the concept of marriage in our society has gotten a little bit dysfunctional lately? Would you agree? Yeah, like like we, we can see that in all sorts of types of confusion. So, so our, our courts and our politicians and our schools ha- have taking it upon themselves to think that they can redefine marriage and redefine the roles that are within marriage and even the genders that that belong in marriage. Um, we can see the dysfunction of marriage even just by like flipping through the TV channels if you do that sort of thing. Uh, it's probably not an advisable activity, but um, it would give you a pretty good glimpse of what a dysfunctional marriage, a dysfunctional family looks like. Um, you can see the dysfunction of marriage in social media as it's very... Common to, to post a like a meme about your spouse or something like that, and, and, and about you know maybe the opposite gender and how much of a, uh, you know how stupid men are or how how uh, nagging women are or whatever it is, and, and and just to down and diss on on what God has created. Uh, but listen, this morning. Uh, when I say uh, that this is hope for a typically dysfunctional marriage, I, I don't want us so much thinking about the types of dysfunction that are out there, right? Like, I, 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 I want us to realize that, that there's dysfunction right in here. And uh, we don't want to listen to this sermon for someone else or to feel good about ourselves because we're awesome and the culture is a mess and, and look at how great we've got all of this. And um, if I'm honest... Uh, my marriage and if Katie were here she would agree my marriage has its moments of dysfunction and don't leave me alone anybody anybody with me in that does your marriage ever have moments you married people ever have moments of dysfunction or or if you're single uh, does it ever if you ever look around like kids do you ever look at your parents and say you know what that's just not working the way that it's supposed to work right now Um <laughs> You look at the marriages around you and you're like, does any marriage ever work perfect? And the answer is no, right? Because if we're honest, every marriage gets out of sync sometimes. And that's because every marriage shares a common problem. See, every marriage is populated by two sinners, Two sinners who are, are prone to live for themselves. Uh, two sinners who are, are prone to get their eyes off of God and off, off of his patterns and practices and onto their own. Uh, I liked what one of the other uh, Great Commission Collective pastors had to say about this. This was this was good. He said, um, two selfish people getting married and expecting the other to make them happy is like two ticks with no dog. <laughs> You'll suck the life out of each other. You'll suck the life out of each other. And really, like that's what happens anytime two sinners join together in marriage and they get their eyes off of God's purposes and functions for marriage. The word that comes to mind there is um, dysfunctional. dysfunctional. Now, here's the thing about dysfunction. Uh, the only real way to get out of dysfunction is to begin to understand how that thing is actually supposed to function. Like, like, like that's, that's, we, we got to get a glimpse of what functional looks like. Marriages get dysfunctional when they lose sight of what functional looks like so maybe they've been messed up by what the culture says about marriage, and they believe that for themselves. Uh, maybe they've been messed up by the examples that they've seen in their own lives. Uh, for whatever reason, they lose sight of God's function for marriage. But, but really, here's the bottom line. Uh, every marriage has been messed up, first and foremost, by the dysfunction of the sinful desires and false hopes of the two people that are in that marriage. If any marriage gets messed up along the way, it's because of the sinful desires of the two people that are in that marriage. The problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. Point to where the problem is. In here. Right? And so today, we need to figure out what functional looks like in marriage. And praise God, uh, even when there's a lack of good examples in your marriage, and even when there's a whole mess of confusion about this in our culture... God has given us His Word. And we can model our lives after His Word, even when it looks dysfunctional around us. The big idea for this morning is when marriage gets dysfunctional, it's time to revisit God's function for marriage. When marriage gets dysfunctional, it's time to revisit God's function for marriage. So we want to see this from God's Word. Hopefully you have your Bible this morning. Look down at it. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband's so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Which in God's sight is very precious. be hindered. So talk about a, a counter-cultural view of marriage, wouldn't you say? Like, like if anybody was here and, and, and wasn't familiar at all with what the Bible had to say, they'd just be like, what in the world did we just read? But, but remember, Peter has already called the church strangers and aliens in society, in the world that they live in. They're, they're Strangers in this world, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we can expect a countercultural view from the Bible. Well, shouldn't we expect that right? And, and so if this is all new to you, that, that might have seemed like the craziest passage that has ever been read, written or read aloud in the 21st century. And you might look at us for crazy for thinking, as crazy for thinking that this is a passage that we should actually live by and try to apply. and, and maybe we are crazy, but we're crazy for the Lord. And uh, hang in there, as you slow down and you truly seek to understand this, uh, I'm praying that you would see the beauty, the beauty of what is here. Culture would tell us that, that what we just read was ugly, but God would say that this is where marriage is and this is where men and women will thrive. So as we get into this, I want you to notice that that Peter included this word uh, to married people right in the middle of a letter that was written to whole churches, right? And and so it would have been read aloud in whole churches. And and so uh, he didn't say then at this point, all of you unmarried people in the room, uh, you can be dismissed, go check your email, take a bathroom break, whatever. This is just for the married people in the room and and, and they'll listen to this and then you can come back in in verse 8. Uh, that, he didn't say that, right? And, and so there is something here for all of us. We we need to understand our roles as men and women created in the image of God. We, we need to. Uh, it, this can help us sort through the confusion about marriage that's in our society. Uh, teenagers, especially, listen. I, I want you to understand that I have had a special burden for you in this message. Especially those of you who are starting to think about the opposite gender and, and thinking about what you're attracted to and, and, and what you like in that person. like like I long for you to begin to think, even at a young age, like 10, 11, 12, 13, even at that age, to begin to think about these things from God's perspective. that even as you think about dating, that you would think about the type of person that is going to fulfill the roles that God has given to them. And I long for you to have the types of goals that God has given to you in relationships and in even in marriage. And so so don't check out thinking that this is a sermon for your parents and, and that you don't have to listen for the next hour, right? In fact, to be honest with you, you teenagers, have probably been on my heart this week more than anybody else sitting in this room. I'm serious about that. I've thought about you more this week than anybody else sitting in this room. And so this world is giving us a dysfunctional picture of what marriage is. And our sin nature leads us into dysfunction as we think about nature. And so we desperately, desperately, desperately need the hope of Jesus to be restored in our marriages. We we need His example as the one who gave up His life for His bride, the church. We need His power to overcome the the sin and the dysfunction that's in our hearts. And so today, in in these verses in 1 Peter, we want to revisit God's function for marriage. And and, and here's where we need to start. Uh, Number one, revisit your role. Revisit your role. You need to embrace God's complementary design. Embrace God's complementary design. So as we go through these uh, three parts of God's function for marriage today, uh, we're going to jump back and forth between verses 1 to 6, where Peter is talking to the wives, and then uh, verse 7, where where the the men get one jam-packed verse. So we're just going to go back and forth between those two uh, sections here. And we can see in this passage, along with many others in the Bible, that there are two roles that God has designed for marriage. It's the wife... And the husband. The Bible defines marriage as a, a man and a woman joined together in a one flesh union that God, joined together by God himself. Let me say that again. The Bible defines marriage as a man and a woman in a one flesh union joined together by God himself. The roles within marriage are are rooted in the different ways that God created gender in general. And so both man and woman reflect the image of God. Both of them are absolutely essential to God's plan. And both of them have specific roles that work together. The word that we would use for that is complementary. They're different, equally valued essential roles that work together toward God's purposes so you have uh, this word complementary you have you have complementary colors in art and design and complementary colors are, are colors that work together they match in order to create beauty and and, and drama within a piece of artwork you have complementary hardware in building uh, nuts and bolts right Like they work together. One completes the function of the other. And God designed the roles of men and women to be complementary. This understanding is sometimes even called complementarianism. There's a big word that you probably ought to be familiar with at least a little bit. Complementarianism. Everybody say that. Complementarianism. Okay. It's not a Bible word, but it is what the Bible teaches. And so Peter uh, gives us the wife's role in its most basic form. Wives. Be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Now, to some of you, that might sound like a a bad word. Like you might be just like immediately cringing on the inside. For sure, to most in our society, it's a bad word to be subject or to submit yourself. Like how dare you say that a woman should submit herself to her husband? Like what kind of backwards teaching are we looking at here? But let's just remember that, that the culture that teaches that submission is bad is the same culture where marriage is in extreme dysfunction. And so let's just be willing to at least entertain the thought that maybe there's, there's something that we've maybe misunderstood about this, the value of submission. Maybe there's something that we've misunderstood, maybe even about the definition of submission, and we're, we're reacting to the wrong concept. So here's the valuable God-given role for the wife that turns marriage from dysfunction to function. A wife, submit to your husband's authority with respectful and pure conduct. Submit to your husband's authority with respectful and pure conduct. Many of the negative reactions to the idea of submission come in response to unhealthy, sometimes flat-out wrong views of what submission is and how it has been treated So, let's be very clear. Submission does not mean that the woman is less in value than the man. In the Bible we see that that the son submits himself to the father in the trinity. And and there's nobody saying that Jesus is less in value or less God than the father. Equal value is even going to be affirmed in verse 7 of this passage. Uh, submission does not mean that the wife is incapable of leading or that she lacks the intelligence to lead. Like some of the most gifted leaders that I know are women. I, I probably have learned more about leadership from my mom than anybody else. So this isn't about capability it's about calling. It's not about capability it's about calling. Submission is also not being a doormat or, or subjecting yourself to abuse. So, so a right view of submission is is not the cause of different forms of abuse that are prevalent in our society. A lot of people would blame uh, this view of, of looking at men and women as the cause of all the abuse that we're seeing out there. But but it, it might be the, the cause of from a wrong view of submission, but it's certainly not... From the right view. The truth is that God never gives limitless authority so that the vulnerable can be abused. God gives limited authority so that the vulnerable can be cared for. Let me say that again. God never gives limitless authority so that the vulnerable can be abused. God gives limited authority so that the vulnerable can be cared for that is a massive massive difference in how we think about this and so if a husband is abusing his wife uh, she should go tell the authorities that he is accountable to because he is stepping outside of the realm of his authority and she should go call first of all the police they're, they're the authority that holds him accountable and, and if what he's doing is not illegal or the police aren't gonna do it get involved she should call the church. If he's a believer, and she should get them involved, and they should hold him accountable. If it's just like unhealthy behavior or sinful behavior. Submission is not being less in value. It's not about capability. It's not subjecting yourself to abuse. So with all of those misconceptions about submission, uh, let's get a quick definition here. Uh, To submit is to willfully place yourself under the authority of another for God-given purposes. To willfully place yourself under the authority of another for God-given purposes. See, when God created humanity, He created them as male and female in His image. And I think it seems like a good idea when you're trying to figure out like how something should function. I think it seems like a good idea to listen to the One who created it, Right? Like Let's listen to the one who created marriage in order to understand how it's supposed to function. So in Genesis chapter 2, uh, God tells us that he created man from the dust of the earth. And, and he gave man this job of, of naming every kind of animal. And so every animal was brought before Adam. And, and um, one by one by one, he, he, he ruled them out as helpers suitable for him. And he gets to the end, he's like, there's no helper suitable here for me. God God you you, you forgot one. I need a helper. Every everybody's got a pair and I don't have a pair. And so God created woman to be man's helper. Adam couldn't do it alone. He he needed someone to come along and help him. And so God created woman out of Adam's rib, and Adam said, "This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." And then Genesis says, "For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." That's the moment that marriage was created. And I don't hear any difference at all in terms of value in the idea of one flesh, right? There's no difference. It's one. It's one. But I do hear a difference of role when it comes to what the Bible, when the Bible calls the woman a helper suitable for the man. She's to come alongside him. She's to help him in the ways that he's lacking as they pursue God's purposes for them together. This does mean that she's going to follow his lead. This does mean that she's going to lay down her rights at times. And her opinions. And as she does, she's going to contribute valuable, essential help to the purposes of God in their relationship. She's going to submit for God-given purposes. Now we have to understand that this... We have to understand the the word authority in that definition as well. To submit is to willfully place yourself under the authority of another for God-given purposes. The, The idea of authority is like all messed up in our society, right? And so in God's design, those with authority are to be the ones that serve the most. That's the way that God ordered this thing. Authority is the responsibility to serve and care. Authority is responsibility. It's the responsibility to serve and care. We have to understand that. And when you submit yourself to God's design for husbands and wives, you can trust that God is going to care for you. Women, you can trust that He's going to care for you through your submission to the authority that He has placed in your life. Wives, I want you to understand that you are a stewardship to your husband. God has placed the responsibility to lead and care for your family upon the shoulders of your husband. It's been removed from your shoulders. That responsibility has been removed from your shoulders and placed upon your husband's shoulders. And so he's accountable for that, not you. So this is about calling in your life, not capability. It's about your surrender to God and, and your entrusting yourself to his design and his plan. Peter uses two words in verse three to describe what submission looks like when it's that's it's lived out. He uses the words respectful and pure. Respectful and pure. It's wiser to respect their husbands. Like how much would that stand out in society if we all got after that, right? Wives speaking respectfully to their husbands. Wives speaking respectfully about their husbands to other women. The word actually means to revere. It's the same word that we use for the the fear of the Lord. You you have a respect of the image of God in that person. You revere the way that God has created him. And and you revere the things that God has called him to do. By the way, I, I just want to encourage you. I think the ladies... In our church, by and large, do an excellent job at this. Like I love hearing y'all brag on your husbands. Ninety-nine percent of the time. I, I rarely hear negative words, but just do a quick heart check for yourself. Especially when you're with other women, how do you talk about your husband? How do you talk about his character? About his victories, about his shortcomings. Here's one. Uh, how do you talk about your sex life? Well, like, like I know that you women do that a whole lot more than men, and I kind of think it's weird to be honest. But um, I, I, I just, I understand from my wife that that it can get less than respectful at times. And so, be respectful when you do it. I mean, that's what you got to do. But singles, you, you, you can practice this in the way that you talk and think about men in general. If you're, if you're single just and you're a woman, just think about, how do I talk about men in general? Because men are often portrayed as, as dumb and oblivious in popular media. And I know that that's kind of the popular way to talk about them. Uh, but the idea of masculinity is, is considered a bad word because of the many abuses of that idea in society. But believe me, that's not going to get anyone anywhere. It's not helping us to escape the dysfunction. It's actually taking us further into the problem as we lose what it means to be a man and a woman made in the image of God. Respect for the way men uniquely reflect the image of God restores God's functions for men and women. The second word that Peter uses is pure. The wife is is demonstrating the pure character of God to her husband in the power of the Holy Spirit So she's she's not blaming the lack of her purity on the lack of leadership from her husband. She's not saying, like if my husband would just stand up and lead, I could be a whole lot more pure. She's submitting to the Spirit of God as He works practical purity in her life. She has a responsibility of her own before the Lord to walk in the Lord. And for the wife whose husband is not following the Lord, that's going to give him a glimpse of the beauty of who God is. And for the wife whose husband is following the Lord, that's going to make it a whole lot easier to lead that wife, right? And you're going to be a useful tool together in the hands of the Lord. And so wives, be subject to your own husbands. Revisiting your role is the first step in recovering God's function to your marriage. But listen, men, you also have a role. And you're fulfilling your role should make the woman's role easy. Natural. Husband, lead with careful understanding. Look at verse 7. The very beginning. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. If our wives are to submit, husbands, then we are given the responsibility of authority. We are called to lead them. We are called to exercise the type of authority that Jesus described and modeled that lays down our lives for others and does not serve ourselves. So once again, this authority or this leadership is not saying, uh, this is the way that we're going, woman, deal with it. This is uh, not making all of these decisions without talking to your wife and seeking no input from her. That's not responsible leadership, men. Uh, leadership is not kicking your feet up and making sure everyone in the home is serving on you hand and foot. It's also uh, not complaining when you tell your wife that she needs to do something, that, that you know, maybe grow in a certain area and she doesn't do it, and you're like, Well, I told her once. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. Leadership involves two parts. You ready for this? Part one is knowing God's purposes for your wife and your family. So, so you got to know where you're going, right? If you're going to lead someone, you got to know where you're going. So you've got to know God's purposes specifically for your wife and your family. you got to know His purposes in general, and then how's that going to apply in your situation. And then it involves the second part, uh, which is creating a path to guide her there. So it's not just saying, here's the end, go figure it out. It's saying, I'm going to guide you and lead you to where we need to go together. It means you're responsible for directing your wife and your home toward a relationship with the living God. And so Peter says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That that word for understanding is so interesting. According to the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, it means um, intelligent comprehension. Intelligent comprehension. Like that sounds really romantic, doesn't it? (laughs) Husbands, live with intelligent comprehension of your wives. But isn't that really the heart of true love? Like truly knowing someone and knowing what God wants for them, and wanting what's best for them. This word for understanding is distinct from other types of knowledge in that it's an understanding of the way that things actually are versus the way that you perceive them to be. That's really important. So it's not like just saying like, well, I think my wife really likes it when I watch football all afternoon and she's doing the dishes in the kitchen. Like, I, that's the way that I perceive that th- things to be. Seems like she likes it to me. She's always smiling. No, th- this is a type of knowledge that understands things the way that they actually are. And this type of knowledge also implies that, that you have observed it with your eyes. You haven't waited for her to tell you. You've observed it with your eyes. It's based on objective observation. It's all tied up in the word understanding. And so put all that together. Husbands, you are to have an intimate knowledge of your wife the way that she actually is. Not just the way that you perceive her to be. And that knowledge is supposed to come through objective observations about her. So you watch her. You study her. You understand what makes her tick. So here's a little exercise. In the back of your sermon notes, I've given you a little bit of a quiz. And I want you to take this quiz based on your observations of your wife. So husbands, take it first without asking your wife these questions. And then I want you to ask her the questions and see how close you got. You might not want to reveal when you were wrong uh, because that might go bad for you. But just measure yourself a little bit. Here's your understanding your wife quiz. What are the things that motivate her? If you're going to lead her, you have to understand what motivates her. What are the things that she fears the most? What are her strongest desires? What temptations to sin is she most prone to fall into? What are the things that she's passionate about? How has God spiritually gifted her to serve him? What are the unique talents that God has given her? What makes her feel loved? Husbands, do you know those things about your wife? Take that quiz. Ask your wife to answer the questions, and then and then discuss your score with the other men in your GC for some accountability. Just a recommendation, like like don't share all the answers with them. Protect your wife in that. But but just say you know this is I, I was like five out of ten. It's like three out of ten. And, and just commit to understanding and observing your wife over the next few weeks, and then take the quiz again. See how you do just a word to single men here. Even teenagers. You are still called to lead by serving and caring. You are still called to lead by serving and caring. So be men who respect women. When all the guys are talking about her looks and whatever... Say, no, 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 guys, we're just not going there. We're just not going there. Be men who understand how to lead them as sisters in Christ to be all that God created them to be, to look out for them and and protect them and serve them. You can still practice these things without the romance of a dating relationship or headed towards marriage. Because this is who God created us in our gender identities in general. And so what is God's role for you as a man or a woman in your specific situation? Do you understand it? Married people, singles, this is for all of us to understand. And so if we're going to escape dysfunction in marriage, we have to revisit our roles. Now now God didn't create the roles of men and women arbitrarily. He's not just like, I'm going to make the men the leaders. and I'm going to make the women submit. No, no, He has a, a, a purpose. He has a goal in mind. And so as we look at the roles, we have to understand what the goal is. We need to revisit your goal. And the goal needs to be to help others thrive in Christ. That's your goal through every relationship is to help others thrive in Christ. Let's see that goal from the text... Uh, Look at verse 1 again. He says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So Peter realizes that some of these women's husbands uh, may not be all that God wants them to be. Have you ever experienced that, women? Don't answer. Some of these women could even be married to unbelievers. Like maybe they became a believer and, and their husband's still in his sin. What then? Like, like Do they, they still stay with him? Do they still submit to an ungodly husband? And, and the answer is yes. Now notice that word even. Even suggests that, that it's not the case for everyone. In fact, it's probably not the case for most of them. And the reality is that even when believing husbands do are seeking to, to go after God, they don't get it right all the time. Husbands, do we get it right all the time? Uh, you try that again. Do we get it right all the time? No. But is a husband's lack of leadership or obedience to God a reason not to fulfill your role, wives? No. Try that again. No. God says no you still need to submit in that situation. And so the big question is, why? Why would you submit to a husband who doesn't get it? Why would you submit to a husband who doesn't understand God's purposes or doesn't even understand you? And Peter says that through fulfilling her role, the wife might win the husband. Now, now what does that mean? Does that mean that the wife like, wins a battle over her husband? Like, like I'm right, you're wrong, See? Does that mean that the wife like gets one over on her husband and like now he's on her side? No, no, no. This isn't about sides. To win her husband is to win him to the Lord. It means that the once disobedient husband is now submitting to God's purposes for him. It means that he's worshiping God now and leading his family to love God. That's the win for the wife. Not that she wins, but that God wins in his life. So when a wife submits to her husband, she's doing so to help him thrive in Christ. She's leaving space for him to see God in her and to see God's purposes for him. Well, if your goal in marriage is that your husband may thrive, Peter says that they may be one without a word. Trust me, God is going to use respectful and pure conduct to get to a husband's heart infinitely more than he will use the nagging words of a wife. If I'm falling short of God's commands in my life, I am much more drawn to Christ when Katie just does what God has called her to do than if she were to constantly remind me about how much I'm failing when I'm messing up and, and she tries to an assume, assume an authority position and she's like, hey, bucko, you better, you stink at this and, and you need to start manning up and do better. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to dig my heels in. Uh, by the way, she never talks like that. <laughs> I used extreme exaggeration to protect her, right? But if I'm messing up and she's like, I love you and I want to just serve you any way that I can, like you know, I'm like, I'm supposed to be leading here, and she's showing me up. And I better get on it. Better get my act together. God uses the submission of the wife to win the husband to help him thrive in Christ, and, and that process may take two hours. It may take twenty years. But as she demonstrates an example of respect and purity even without saying a word. God uses that to sanctify the husband. And if he is already obeying the word, then your submission just enables him to lead your marriage in the direction God has called him to go. When you embrace your complementary roles, you can go after God's purposes together. Because it's not about you, and it's not about him, it's about Christ. And so you can thrive in Christ when you're fulfilling God's design as a man and woman. You can serve then your neighbors and your kids and help them to thrive in Christ. And you can just begin going and helping others thrive in Christ because your marriage is not ultimately about you and the happiness of the two people. God puts you together for His kingdom. Singles, if you're thinking about marriage and you're like, you're like I just want to find that person that makes me happy and feel really good about myself, you're missing the point. God has put husbands and wives together so that they can make much of Him. That's the whole design of your life. Now, men, your, your goal is the same as the woman's goal, uh, husband, that the wife may thrive in Christ. Look back down at verse seven, seven b, if you will, showing honor to the weaker woman as I'm mean, sorry, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, Peter says that your job, as you seek to understand your wife, is to show honor to her as the weaker vessel. Let me let me just tell you, like there, this this passage is, it was filled with cultural landmines. Like every word, I feel like I got to explain, right? And, and so, uh, from a human perspective, that that word weaker again seems to be a bad word. It seems to mean like less in value. But notice what Peter says. He says that the weaker vessel gets equal honor because they are going to inherit the grace of life with you. They have the same future hope. They have the same status in God's kingdom. He's simply pointing out the fact that physically speaking, women are weaker vessels. It's interesting. This word for vessel means a a tool or a container. And it's actually the same word that Paul uses of himself when he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing worth belongs to, not to us, but to God. That, that word for jars is the same word as the word for vessel here in 1 Peter. It is a useful but at the same time, weak tool in the hand of a worthy God. God loves to use what is weak in the world. He loves to give honor to those who are vulnerable. And I said this, like a mountain stream, grace flows toward the lowest point. And so being a weak vessel doesn't sound like such a bad thing anymore, does it? Like God's getting a design to protect me here. In fact, I want to be called a weak vessel. But God has given this charge to men. Give honor to women as the weaker vessel. Help them thrive as heirs of the grace of life with you. Give them protection as they're out there serving God and fulfilling His purposes for them. Husbands, God's goal for your marriage is that through the way you honor and protect your wife, she would come to life in Christ. Ephesians calls that nourishing and cherishing her. All those questions that I told you to answer about your wife so that you would understand her earlier, you need to take those and you need to take that to the next level and you need to say, okay, uh, based on what I know about her, what is it going to look like if she thrives in Christ? What does it look like to help her fight sin And understand her vulnerabilities. What does it look like for her to serve Jesus. And and use the spiritual gifts and the talents that God has given her. She is an heir of the grace of life with me. God has entrusted you men with with honoring and protecting his daughter. That's a pretty big deal. See, God didn't create marriage as an end in itself. He created marriage as the way to help others thrive in Christ. It has that effect on the people in the marriage, and then it has that effect on everybody around the marriage as the marriage gets healthy. The the marriage itself is meant to point others to Jesus. Even just in seeing how you relate to one another. And so for all of us here today, we need to ask ourselves, like, what, what do I think is the goal of marriage? What do I think is the goal of my life? How, do, how does that compare to God's goal for marriage? If you're single and you're thinking about marriage in the future, like, get this figured out. It is going to save you from a world of hurt. Teenage boys, it is not enough that a girl looks cute and is quiet and is willing to go with you to church. You need to look her in in the eyes and you you need to say to her, I am headed after Jesus. Are you coming with me or not? Teenage girls, it is not enough for a boy to say that he's a Christian, post a few things on social media about God, and vote Republican. (laughs) You need to look him in the eyes and you need to say, I'm serious about this, you need to look him in the eyes and you need to say, what does Jesus mean to you? Who is He in your life? Because if you ain't going after His heart, you ain't going after mine either. I like a, I like this quote, a woman's heart should be so wrapped up in Jesus that a man has to pursue Him to find her. A woman's heart should be so wrapped up in Jesus that a man has to pursue Him to find her. And anyone who is single... And even those who are married needs to view the opposite gender in this way. Uh, They are first and foremost someone that you are called to point toward Christ. Not to point toward yourself. First and foremost, your job is to help others thrive in Christ. Men, you are to value and honor women and take leadership so that they can fulfill their God-given roles. Women, you are to follow the spiritual leadership of men in our church so that, that they can do what God has called them to do. And I'm convinced that one of the primary problems in both dating relationships and marriage relationships is that we forget that the other person is our brother and sister in Christ first. And it's a romantic relationship second. Jesus said that there's no marriage in heaven. You know what that means? It means that the marriage thing is is temporary, but the brother and sister thing in Christ is eternal that's what's going to last forever. And so learn to lead your wife in that way. Learn to lead your husband submit to your husband in that way. Marriages that function within God's roles and within his goals are the models for how the rest of the church is to function as the family of God. And so how would you have defined the goal of marriage prior to hearing this message? And how does that compare to God's goal? Take some time later this week to just think through that question and then ask God to realign your heart to His. You see, if our goals are off, it means that our souls are off as well. Deep down, we aren't as concerned about the things that God wants in our lives as we are about the things that our flesh wants. If our goals don't line up with God's, it means that our souls have placed their hope in something other than what God says. And so we need to revisit our souls. Revisit your soul and find your hope in God alone. Look at verse 4. Peter writes to the wives, "Uh, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Women, how do you know if your hope is set on God? Peter says that you have a quiet confidence in God's plan over your own. Peter says, do not let your adorning be external. Your adorning is the thing where you find your source of beauty. And so he mentions the braiding of hair and gold jewelry. So uh, ladies, anyone wearing gold jewelry today? Time to take it off. Tish, 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 tish. <laughs> Just kidding. He's not saying uh, Christian women aren't allowed to braid their hair or wear gold jewelry. How do I know that? Well, uh, Wayne Grudem pointed this out. He puts clothing in the same category. <laughs> and so, so he wouldn't be saying that you also cannot wear clothing. Peter's saying, don't rely on external things to be your source of beauty. Instead, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Let me just give a word again to the young girls who are here for a moment, uh, who want to get married someday. Uh, You will win a man to what you win him with. You will win a man to what you win him with. And so if you are so concerned with how you look and looking just right and kind of flaunting yourself to attract guys, think about your social media accounts. You will attract guys who are obsessed with that sort of thing. That's not what you want let me tell you, beauty is a fleeting thing. And physical attraction is all well and good, but it's not a worthwhile foundation for lasting relationships. And I know that it's hard to believe, but there are men out there who care about character. There are. Men, side note. Young guys, we need to be those type of men who care about Character. Who are more concerned concerned with heart beauty than physical beauty? Who praise not just our wives, but in the way that she looks, but in the and but in the way that she carries herself in in the more intrinsic values of the heart. We need to value what God we see God doing in her. And so, ladies, focus on internal beauty. If you win a man with internal beauty, that's what's going to keep him attracted to you in marriage. Over the long haul. Peter says that a woman's heart should be adorned with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now that is not a personality statement. Okay? That's a character statement. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's a character that God himself exhibits. I like to teach my boys that gentleness is strength under control. Strength under control. And so I'm yielding and directing my strength toward the purposes of God. Gentleness is is closely related to humility. It's getting low to help those who are weak. And then a quiet spirit is is a spirit that is well ordered. It's not anxious or troubled. It's a spirit whose hope is set on God. Look at the, the example that Peter gives. He He gives the example of Sarah and Abraham. Sarah had quite a journey of submission to her own husband. Um, She had a a husband who followed the Lord, but not always, and put her in some pretty tough situations. So first, God told Sarah's husband to go to a land that he would show him later. So wives, just think about that. Um, What what if your husband came home and said, "Uh, Honey, I believe God is calling us to move. Somewhere far away, I don't know where yet. What would you say? That was an obedient move on Abram's part that Sarah needed to submit to in order to see God work wonders in her life. Then, Abram made a not-so-obedient choice. He was afraid of the king of Egypt, that it, that he would want Sarah as his own wife, and that he would harm Abram. And so he told the king of Egypt, no, she's my sister. Man, don't do that. But Sarah submitted and God took care of her. By the way, they didn't learn their lesson the first time and they did it a second time. two times. How do you do that two times? <laughs> then God calls Sarah's husband uh, that she's going God tells Sarah's husband that she's going to get pregnant at age 90. How do you think she was feeling about that? But she submitted to her husband in the process of having kids. Then a number of years later, Abram was calling, called to sacrifice the, the only son, Isaac, on the altar, and God spared him. But, but how hard do you think it was for Sarah to hear that story as a mom and, and to like, trust her husband again? She had to submit to her husband's leadership of their kids. See, submission was not an easy thing for Sarah. She did not have an easy husband to follow either. And God's purposes for her were not every woman's dream. Now, she didn't do it imperfectly, but Peter said that she's an example, a prime example of how many women from ages past have obeyed their husbands. If you want to fulfill your God's role for you as a wife and pursue God's goals for you, then the hope of your soul must be in God. The hope of your soul cannot be in your husband or in his ability to lead, It cannot be in how much He loves you or how the decisions that He makes is going to turn out. Your hope must be in a sovereign God who knows the end and loves you and is going to care for you. Remember the example in the power of Jesus that we studied last week. He continued entrusting Himself to the One whom judges justly. But husbands, our our job is to make it natural. For her to put her hope in God by leading her in that way. The end of verse 7 says that we live with our wives in an understanding way and show them honor so that our prayers may not be hindered. Men, how do you know that the hope of your soul is resting on God? You need to care about the quality of your prayer life. Look at the quality of your prayer life. God says, I care so much about your leadership of your home that I am willing to interrupt fellowship with you for as long as your fellowship with your wife is interrupted. That's serious stuff. Now here's what's implied in that statement. Uh, You actually have to care about your relationship with God in the first place. you actually need to be praying to him if this is going to mean anything to you your prayer life is how you know your hope is set on god it's it's when we go to god in prayer and we say god you've given me this incredible stewardship to care for in my wife she's this vessel she's she's like this person that i don't understand all the all the time but i really want to and so help me that's hope set on god And it's when we go to God in prayer and we say, show me the way that you want to lead me. Show me the way you want to lead my family. Show us how you want us to serve you and worship you and make make you known to the people around us. Show us how you want to use our wealth and our home and our time for your glory. Help me to help make these decisions as the leader of my home. That's when you know that your hope is set on God. We cannot lead without prayer. so what are your external actions toward your spouse or the opposite gender reveal about the source of your soul's hope? Women, are you acting out of anxiety or control? Or a gentle and quiet spirit? Men, are you prayerfully seeking the Lord for the purposes of your home? The hope for the typically dysfunctional family is God Himself sovereignly leading you as you relate to your family. See, if God has not gripped our hearts, our concept of marriage is going to lack the eternal hope that it needs. And we can't fulfill our roles. We can't pursue God's goals. We can't have the quality of soul that we need in our marriage without Jesus coming in and rescuing us. And so I want to leave you this morning with Peter's words that we studied last week in chapter 2.21. Just allow your eyes to glance up a few verses, and we're going to close with this. He says, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is our example in our marriages. He's the example of humble submission to the Father. He's the example of sacrificial authority over the church. Most of all, he's the example of what it looks like to entrust our lives to God. And even more than our example, He's our power. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. I want you to know that Jesus does not leave you alone in trying to figure this relationship thing out. I understand that this is an incredibly hard message for some people because their marriages are more than every once in a while, dysfunctional. You need to go to Jesus as the source of your hope. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to talk to you after the service and I want to talk to you about what that means because that is the only hope. Listen to me, that is the only hope for your marriage. And if you do know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you need to go to Him for the power and the example that you need. God has a role for you. God has a goal for you. And God has a certain quality of soul that He wants you to have. Let's go to Him now and ask Him for His help. Father, I pray right now uh, for those marriages that are struggling. I pray that You would reveal to each person in that marriage... Your role that you have given them. Your goal that you have given them. And I pray that you would give them the vision for what you want in their soul. I pray that you would set their soul's hope on you. And Father, I pray that that you would remind them of the power as well that you have given to them. For those of us who struggle day in and day out, uh, who have good marriages but not perfect, would you uh, help us to remember and return to your functions for marriage when we see those things slip. Pray that our marriages would be healthier than ever before. And then, Father, for the singles in the room, uh, for those who... Uh, are not intending to be married in the future. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, uh, that that you have given them everything that they need in Christ. And that you have uniquely designed them for specific, special purposes to advance your kingdom. And I pray that they would help others around them thrive in Christ. And then for those singles that, that are... Hoping to one day be married. Lord, I just pray that You would set their hope on You right now. Father, reveal to them where their hope has been misplaced and misguided. Rescue them from themselves. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.